Praise the Lord. If you would, turn in your Bibles to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Title of my message is, Loving by the Spirit of God. Loving by the Spirit of God. It says this, This is kind of wrapping up his discussion in chapter 12 about spiritual gifts. But then this last phrase, which is the second part of 31, most everybody agrees that probably should have been at the beginning of 13. But it says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Everybody understands this conversation is about spiritual gifts, right? He's talking about gifts that God gives to the church to serve each other. Uh, Paul never says gifts to serve myself or to make myself look good or make myself look more spiritual. They're all gifts to serve one another and love one another and help one another and and, uh, do what God's trying to do in his church. But then this one should be attached to the next uh, conversation that he has about love. And it says, I will show you a more excellent way, because in chapter 12, they're having all kinds of arguments and disagreements and all kinds of problems with their spiritual gifts, because they're all trying to exercise them, and it's causing all kinds of conflict within the church. And it's not just the gifts, it's uh, lawsuits, it's all kinds of um, um, ways they're dealing with sin in their church, it's just all kinds of different things, and Paul's trying to say This is what the Spirit of God's trying to do in the church, and we want to be a part of what the Spirit's doing, not the part of what I'm doing or what somebody in the seats are doing. We want to to know what the Spirit of God is trying to do. So he says, let me show you a more excellent way. I love the way he says that. That's almost uh, poetic, the way Paul says that. Let me show you a more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I'm reading this from the RSV because I like the way they wrote it. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Lord. Lord, I pray today that you would give a revelation of love, Lord. Help us understand it. Help us grow in it, Lord. Help us desire it in this church and in our lives, Lord, and in our families. In your name we pray, and everybody says, Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Love in the Bible has a priority. And you think in your mind, maybe we know certain things about certain catchphrases or words in the Bible but maybe it doesn't really register like we think it probably should or we think it might. Because when we hear love, we all say, of course, love is the greatest. Of course, love is a big deal. Of course, love is what I do and I'm pretty good at it. It's kind of like driving. Everybody thinks they're good at it. Right? Everybody here says amen because we're all good at it. Loving and driving. And driving and being loving while we're driving. 
Amen. I didn't see your drive to church this morning, so don't get nervous. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I've seen a lot of guilty faces there. So how did he know? <laughs> but love, we've got to re-examine this word. Because it has such a high priority that I, I kind of see 1 Corinthians 13 as a mountain that is the most difficult one to climb, the most rewarding one to climb, the one we think we climb like it's a molehill and have accomplished it, but I think it's the toughest one to climb. I think it's the most difficult one to accomplish, and I think it's the one that is impossible to climb and reach what God wants us to achieve at the top of it unless the Holy Spirit does it. But it's the one we're most likely to say, I got this. The title of my message is Loving by the Holy Spirit. Like, I have to depend on the Holy Spirit to love or I can't do it. Now, everything else we we believe we do through the Holy Spirit. Prophetic gifts? Of course. How would I have prophetic gifts if the Holy Spirit didn't give them to me? What are you... Chad, that's common knowledge. Why do we even need you to tell us that? You're irrelevant. (laughs) Right? You know, and so many things in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is our source and we know it, but I don't know that we know love is by the Holy Spirit. And we don't always know that it's more important, and and boy, we don't ever want to say more important. But it does seem to indicate in this chapter that's more important than faith and hope. It endures longer. It has more value. And then if you look at everything the Bible says, it really it, it gives a pretty high value on the Word. And, and here's the problem. When I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think it's misunderstood and even more misapplied. It has become the wedding chapter. And it's all the things a person should do when they're married. And I have no problem with that. Because the standard of love for a marriage, if you follow 1 Corinthians 13, is pretty incredible. And you'll have a great marriage. But, had Paul not put it in between chapters 12 and 14, with the context of it being a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit, I would say maybe it's hard to actually live it without the Holy Spirit. So if you're at a wedding and you're saying 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the likelihood of somebody that doesn't have the Spirit at work in their life living out in their marriage is very difficult. And you'll only have a little bit of inspiration from it, but you won't have uh, the working of the Holy Spirit to help you do it. How many think that's true from reading that? So the misapplied and the misinterpreted part of the Scripture is we don't really understand the context. This chapter, almost every time I ever hear it quoted, is separated from context. And the context is the city of Corinth 
and the church at Corinth, and the conversation is spiritual gifts. So we've got to figure out what's going on in the city of Corinth, what is Paul's behavior in that city, what's he trying to teach them through the love chapter, and what do we need to learn from Paul that he's trying to teach them about love. So as we begin to look at let's look at love first in the Bible. Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 says, Jesus replied, Love, that's the word agape. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. It, he did that. He said it's the greatest. It's greater than all of them. It's better than every other commandment. Love the Lord your God. Well, love your neighbor also. No. The greatest one, love God first with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. This is the greatest commandment. Then, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You notice the two commandments, the key word in each one is love God, love neighbor. And here's something that the Holy Spirit's been stirring in me that we got to be really careful about. I see ministries and Christians and people selecting one or the other. They will say, what part of love your neighbor do you not understand? And they'll say, accept everything that everybody does, because what part of that do you not understand? And I believe that our responsibility is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And in that definition, God says it's our enemies, it's those who despitefully use us, It's those who we don't even know that are strangers. The Bible puts a lot of uh, time talking about strangers uh, coming into our presence that we don't know and they're they're all alone and nobody's there to help them. And I think that um, it's very important to live by the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But there are some people that live by that as the greatest and the only commandment. And then love the Lord your God is completely abandoned. If this pleases God, I can't do that in my fulfillment of that that, that commandment. How many know that? If it's unpleasing to God, I can't live by the first commandment with some of the things I'm doing for the only commandment, the second commandment on its own. How many understand that? So there are some people that everything is about love your neighbor, but nothing is about love the Lord your God. Then there's the other extreme. Everything is about love the Lord your God to the exclusion of ever loving your neighbor. And so we have a balance that's really out of whack. It's like I'm so devoted to God, but I really don't care about the outside world whatsoever. And what God really wants is us to understand love where we're able to do both. How many see that? The dichotomy, the uh, separation of those two commandments where I'm going to fulfill one but not the other, or I'm going to fulfill one and not the other. 
And so we see that, I think, in the world around us, and we have to be really, really careful. And right now you're thinking about your philosophies in your mind. You're saying, well, my philosophy in my mind, I do this, and my philosophy in my mind, I do that. But I already told you that the love is a work of the Holy Spirit. And I have to depend on the Holy Spirit to be able to climb this mountain. In order for me to be able to love, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit that just happens to be greater than all the other ones. He goes on and talks about love. He says that love is greater than any of the spiritual gifts. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, now these three remain. He's talking in context of spiritual gifts. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest, everybody say greatest, is this love, whatever he's trying to define here that is love, and we better find it out. Number three, love is the capstone of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, sometimes you don't associate it with spiritual gifts, right? But listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and the very top of the list is what? Love, it gives it prime importance that the number one fruit that when you have the Holy Spirit begins to grow in you, the capstone or the greatest of that group is love. Right? It goes on. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Second Peter 1, 5-7. It's the crowning virtue of the divine nature that's being deposited in us. So how do you know that? 2 Peter 1, 5-7. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So I'm adding to my faith that I have in God. Goodness, and to goodness add knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. See the building up? This is going the opposite direction. Build up, build up, build up, build up, capstone. Love. Right? Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive the Lord as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues... Over all these virtues, hear all the virtues? Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see the virtues that are coming from divine nature, which is God? That means the Holy Spirit's pouring virtue into you, building up again, and the capstone is love. It'll pull them all together in in perfect unity. John chapter 13 verse 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in that verse he says it's the one distinguishing mark that you'll know who my people are. Is that. 1 Corinthians 13 1 to 3 says, Without love, this is what I just read this morning, Without love the value of the other gifts are diminished to nothing. 
That means speaking in tongues of men and angels, nothing without it. Prophetic powers, that could be either a prophetic word or preaching. You could be the greatest preacher or the greatest prophet in the world, nothing without it. You can do you can give everything you have to charity everything it's worth nothing without that that's pretty hard words without love mixed in with those that tells you how important this gift is so we better figure out what it is and in order to figure out what Paul's trying to tell them about love because I've heard a million messages on here about this subject, and I don't know it really reveals what Paul is trying to say about love. Paul gave, um, I, want to, I want to look at Corinth and I want to look at Paul, because Paul personally gave an example of what love should look like. In fact, Paul many times tells them, I'm giving you an example, follow me. What I'm doing, you do also. So Paul comes into the city called Corinth, and if you don't understand Corinth, it's very difficult to get a feel for what Paul's trying to say here. Corinth was a city, and and if you want to look at it this way, Greece has two parts. There's northern Greece, and Athens is at the southern tip of northern Greece. Southern Greece is the Peloponnesus, and that southern part of Greece is where Corinth is right in between the northern and the southern Greece. And so it's a very important port because there's a port on one side and one on the other, and it's only a four-mile stretch. And so goods come from all over the world. In fact, they come from the west and they come from the east, and there's a shortcut through this little four-mile stretch of land. Can you imagine that? So a four-mile stretch of land gives a 200-mile shortcut to take your goods to the west. Now what's in the west? You've got Italy, you've got Spain, you've got a new uh, uh, land that's being populated called the British Isles. You have all this trade coming from the west. And if you go down through the horn uh, and you go that extra 200 miles, it's a very treacherous ocean. It's a part of the Mediterranean that's very treacherous. And you're, the, 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 the saying was, if you went there twice you probably won't make it home. You might make it once and you're lucky, but you probably won't make it twice. You had to have a pretty good-sized ship and a pretty durable ship to make it down around that horn. So everybody cut through this four-mile stretch of land where Corinth is at. So people came from all over the world. In fact, on the eastern side, there were three major ports in the Bible. One is called Alexandria, Egypt, Another one is Caesarea in Syria, and another one is Ephesus in Asia Minor. And those three ports sent their goods to Corinth, and they'd go through to the west and trade with Spain and Italy and all these western lands. Everybody understand why Corinth is so important. So Corinth is this city, and it's huge. It's the largest city by far. It's five times larger than Athens. In fact, in the ancient world, it had 200 free people and about four to 500,000 slaves. And so it was a huge, I mean, this is a major metropolis. And there were people there, there were Jews there. Um, lots of Jews were there because Claudius had expelled Jews from Rome. 
Uh, Jews came from Caesarea in the east um, and, and from Jerusalem. And so there were Jews there. There were Italians there. there were, uh, it was a Roman colony, so there were Italians everywhere. So this city was a metropolis. And what I'm trying to get at here, I'm trying to give you a little history too. But what I'm trying to get here is there were people from all around the world there. And it was very rare to have that. And so Paul comes into this area, and when you have a place that is a melting pot, it's like the United States of America, basically. It's a melting pot of ideas. And so Paul comes into Corinth, he leaves Athens in Acts chapter 18, and comes to Corinth for the first time, meets meets, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they just came from Rome. Okay, they were selling their goods, they got removed from Rome because Claudius kicked out all the Jews from Rome. So he comes to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, goes back there in Acts chapter 19. But this melting pot of people, Paul comes from Athens about 50 miles away and looks at this city and just sees uh, almost 600,000 people, one of the biggest cities in the ancient world. In fact, I think it was the second largest. They're from all around the world, and when they're from all around the world, that means their ideals, their philosophies, their culture... I mean, no, it's all mixed together. On top of that, let me give you some other information about Corinth. You say, man, why is this important? Because I'm trying to bring the love chapter to modern-day United States. It also was the center of a lot of the pagan worship in the ancient world was centered there. And the two most prominent, there are 26 different temples and shrines in Corinth at the time of Paul. In fact, there's this giant mountain, it's called the Acro-Corinth, and Acro means upper Corinth. It means there's a lower Corinth where everybody lives, and then there's an upper Corinth. And there are 26 different shrines on your way up to that mountain, and on top of the mountain is what's called the Temple of Aphrodite. And I want you to imagine sailors from all around the world, in order to get across that four miles, they built a road. They would take your goods off of your boat, they put your boat on a, on a um, road and they would literally drag your entire boat and your goods across the four miles to the other ocean. And then a large ship would come, they, they would bring a ship around, they'd load it all back up and then they'd go back around. So basically when you were there, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the grain, uh, the places where they sell grain, the farmers, they're all waiting with trucks and long lines because they're all waiting to get their grain in. Well, in Corinth, you would stay there for weeks sometimes while they were unloading your ship, getting it across the four miles, and you'd pick it up on the other side at the other port. So you'd spend a lot of time in Corinth, sailors from around the world, merchants from around the world. You would stay there for a week or two at a time waiting to sell your goods, or you'd stay longer. And on top of that mountain was Temple of Aphrodite. Temple of Aphrodite was a place where sexual immorality was free as anywhere in the entire world. In fact, that was the place, the word uh, fornication, which means uh, sex outside of marriage. The word fornication became the word to Corinthianize somebody, meant to fornicate or be a fornicator. Or if you called a woman a Corinthian, that meant she was a prostitute. So this town was very wicked. In fact, there were a thousand male and female prostitutes that were on top of that mountain and they would descend on Corinth every night. You walked into the town and maybe the first advertisement for a company ever in the ancient world, they say, 
was footprints that went through town as you got into town. And the footprints went. They've excavated at least 33 brothels and bars right as you come into town. So brothels are prostitution houses. You say, wow, this is heavy stuff on a Sunday morning. I'm trying to preach to you about love. Good place for it, huh? So Paul lands here. The other place on the other end of town was a place called the Temple of Apollo. Apollo was considered the perfect man. It was the homosexual cult. And everything in that temple was about homosexuality and the town was very open to it. The town was very uh, eager. You either went to the heterosexual temple and fornicated or you went to Apollo's temple and you were homosexual. Great place, Paul. Great place to choose to teach us about love, right? Maybe it's the best place. Are you getting a feel for what Paul's trying to do here? He's trying to explain to them what real love is. And Paul, get this. You say, well, Paul, I'm sure, was pretty unassuming. And the definition that I hear from most preachers is very non-confrontational. And uh, Paul mentions in Corinthians when he first gets there and writes this book, he says this. When I came to you, this is the brothers in Corinth, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed in you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You want me to break down what Paul's saying? He just left Athens, just came in to Corinth, and he said, I decided in my mind the way that I was going to preach in Corinth was Christ crucified. What he was saying was, my message is going to be that we are sinners and we need to repent. That we need to get right with God that in times past, he goes on to say, in times past, God allowed these pagan things to to happen, but now God is going to be judging this world and I preach Christ crucified in repentance. And you say, well, why is that, that a big deal? Because Paul began to model what real love is. When Paul, when I get into this chapter about the love in Romans chapter 13, when he says, love endures all things, love bears all things, bears all things, that means that Paul is preaching a message that is so loving that everywhere he goes, Corinth was a place where everybody did what they wanted and nobody cared. It was hard to cause waves in Corinth because everybody did what they wanted and nobody cared. Nobody caused waves hardly in Corinth because you were free to do whatever you wanted to do. But Paul's message wasn't that. In fact, everywhere that Paul went, you say, well, Paul was just loving. He wrote the love chapter. Love is passive. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is never sticks their nose in anybody's business. And Paul's saying, no, love bears all things. Love endures all things. Paul loved his neighbor as himself. He would speak to anybody, help anybody, love anybody. But he also loved them enough to know that I'm going to have to endure pain, maybe even death, to give you a message about Jesus crucified. 
and forgiving your sins. Paul literally, he just, he had been to Philippi. Philippi, they put him in stocks and nearly killed him. Okay, he had been beaten with rods. He'd been shipwrecked. Okay, he'd been hit with rocks and stone till they thought he was dead. Threw him outside the city and said he's dead. Paul had endured and bared all things. And that's what he's trying to tell us in the love chapter. Love your neighbor as yourself. Care about him. Engage him. Be around him. Want to know them. But it is not love, church, if we don't also tell the truth. He came to endure all things, to bear all things, because he loved the Corinthians. You say, well, how do you know that he, he was aggressive about things? Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler with such a man do not even eat. You say, well, wait a minute. Didn't you say love your neighbor as yourself? Isn't he trying to reach the world? Look at the next verse. What business of mine to judge the outside church? No, actually, verse before. It says, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world. Did you hear that? Paul said, don't associate with sexually immoral people. Don't even eat with them. The verse before he says, I've written to you about not eating with sexually immoral people. But he says, I'm not talking about the world who are immoral and greedy and swindlers and idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. I'm talking about the ones who call themselves Christians and are sexually immoral. So Paul is loving the Lord your God with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul. But he's not taking away the world. Paul's trying to reach the lost, trying to reach the world. But inside the church, you see that he's hard on sin. He loves the world so much that he doesn't tolerate sin within the church. But he goes out to the ends of the earth to find sinners. Do you see that? That's the love that Paul had. You say, well, what kind of love is that? It's the kind of love that I don't care what you think about me. I don't care if I'm lifted up. I don't care if people love me. I'm going to defend the Lord my God and love him with all of my heart. But I'm also going to love my neighbor to the ends of the earth. Paul was preaching this gospel. And you say, well, wait a minute, Paul... There there are things in the Bible that, that, that love stands up to. You know, love stands up to, the Bible says that we're to stand up to false prophecy. If I'm at a family gathering, and this actually happened, and there's an individual that regularly prophesies falsely, I was actually at a gender reveal yesterday, and somebody prophetically told me that they knew the gender of that baby, 20 minutes later, the gender was not what he said. And that's not the first time that person's falsely prophesied. Is it loving for me to ignore that and be passive? Or is it loving for me to say and confront? Lovingly. In fact, the Bible says that we should 
Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Preach the truth in love. Here's the problem. We preach the truth sometimes and don't love, or we love and we don't preach the truth. And God's called us to do both. Did I tell you this mountain was hard to climb? Did I tell you it's difficult to climb this mountain? Did I tell you that personally you won't be able to do it, but God can do it through you? Did I tell you it's the greatest of all gifts to have an outpouring of love in your heart? And so I look at 1 Corinthians and I think to myself, man, Some of us look at 1 Corinthians and say, these are good guidelines. But I look at Corinthians and I say, how? How can you turn me into this? And so I want to look at the person. The person writing the love chapter is Paul. And you say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Apostle Paul, he was a great man. Have you ever heard of the song Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I say, man, that guy that wrote that was a saint. And he gave something to the church that we'll never forget. That guy that wrote that psalm was the scum of the earth. And he would have no problem if he were here today telling me he was the scum of the earth. He was a slave trader and a slave trip, trip a slave ship. And at one point, he actually sunk a whole, threw a bunch of men over just to save his ship and his, and his cargo. It was a man that was under the heavy, heavy burden of guilt, heavy burden of sin. And what better man, when he gave his heart to the Lord, to say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. See, we don't say wretch, so you don't know what he's talking about. That means he was a scum of the earth and God saved him. Paul is preaching about love. Paul was the original murderer of Christians. He had letters. He was a religious zealot. He had letters from the church to kill Christians, to wipe out the entire cult of Jesus. He had letters to wipe them out, but the Holy Spirit came upon Paul. Paul had uh, the first martyr. Paul was right there. His name was Saul. He was standing there when Stephen was martyred. Paul was, uh, had letters to go kill more. He was rounding them up. He was interviewing all of them, trying to figure out where they were hiding at. He ran them all out of Jerusalem. All the Christians ran from Jerusalem and went to Damascus and Syria and Antioch and all these other places. And guess who's coming to get them? The man who wrote the love chapter. And this is how funny God is. You ever had a hungry lion chasing you? And then you run and you hide from the lion. And then while you're hiding, the lion says, I'll help protect you. Because that's what Paul did. Paul was the hungry lion chasing him down, went after him. God got a hold of his heart, saved him dramatically, filled him with the Holy Spirit. And when he came into the town where he was going to murder Christians, God had filled him full of the Holy Spirit. They said, you're the one that's here to kill us. He goes, no, I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm with you. What an amazing story. Sometimes we don't read those stories for how amazing they are. 
But God filled this man that was full of rage and anger and bitterness, filled him with the love of God. And now he's willing to give his life because the Holy Spirit filled him with this love gift. Something so powerful that I will give my life. You can beat me, you can kill me, you can put me in stocks, you can do anything you want, but I love you. And Paul went into these towns and began to tell them if he could change me, he could change you. He began to preach repentance. I tell you what, he was like David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson, the, God had filled him so full of the love of God. I mean, he was full of the love of God. He flips his TV on one day. And he sees these boys that killed somebody in Central Park. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go preach to those boys. I want you to love those boys. Full of the love of God. He pulls into the worst street in New York City. He didn't know it. He was a country preacher. He was very naive. He pulls into the street where more murders have been committed in New York City than anywhere in the whole city. And just his luck, I guess. We know it's the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, the first guy he meets, is the leader of the most dangerous gang in New York City. And he was the one everybody was scared of, and his name was Nicky Cruz. And boy, I'm sure glad that he resolved within himself like Paul that I'm going to preach Christ crucified. Because he walked in and found Nicky Cruz immediately. He said, he said, what do you want to say, preacher? And he said, Jesus loves you. And he asked Nicky Cruz to repent of his sins. Nicky Cruz grabbed him by the throat, smashed him up against a wall, and said he was going to cut him with his switchblade. David Wilkerson said, you can cut me in a million pieces, but every piece is going to be crying out, I love you. And he preached a message of repentance to gang members who had never even heard the gospel. And he was saying, if you'll ask God to forgive you, God will fill you up with his love. I heard testimonies from Nicky Cruz years later. He became a preacher. And years later, he said his, his, his grandchildren would look in his eyes and they would hear stories about him as a gang leader. And they would say, Grandpa, how is that you? How is that you? How is that possible? Because God filled him through the Holy Spirit with the love of God and he wasn't even the same person. God wants to fill us with His love, but we've got to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. First, God, what do you want with my life? If you abandon that first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, the second commandment is nothing. You say, but I love my neighbor more than anybody. I give all I have to feed the poor. I give all I have for the poor. I stand up and I have great things that I say to my neighbor. i got great things that I say to people. I've got prophetic powers. I've got all these things that I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. And the Holy Spirit says it's nothing. Nothing. You mean I can't love my neighbor if I don't love God first? No. Because God, the Bible said, is love. God is love. And if I don't love the Lord my God first, how can I take His love to my neighbor? 
They're both important. But we've got to love God first, and then we have to love our neighbor. And actually, I had 14 more points. I was going to break down every part of what love is, but the Holy Spirit's saying, you got it already. You need to go home and study First Corinthians 13. Stand your feet. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Oh, praise you, Lord. Today in this house, if you just close your eyes, bow your heads. I don't know why, that's just what we always say. Turn the lights down. Church, we've got to fulfill that first commandment first. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. That wasn't the message that I intended to preach today. But that's the message God told me today. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, so you can love your neighbor. So you can love your neighbor. Let's not get this thing backwards, church. And I'm just going to ask you as we're here today, they're getting ready to play some worship songs here. If you've never, never given your heart to the Lord, never dedicated yourself, committed yourself to serving God and loving Him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Today is your day. You say, why is today your day? Because you may not even have tomorrow. Tomorrow may not even be an option for any of us. may not even be an option for any of us. Do you understand that? We have a chance today to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. What does that mean, Chad, when you love God with all of your heart? That means, God, if there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to you, I want to be pleasing to you. I want to love you, Lord God. I want to love you with my life. I want to love you with my words. I want to love you with my deeds. Love is an action, and I want to have that action every day. God, I love you. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, I'm up here to pray for you. We've got other people that are be willing to pray for you. And if you... If you recognize the value of love, how many know that if you ask the Holy Spirit, He's willing to pour that into your heart? In church, it's time now to start crying out. We're going to build a prayer room and we're going to cry out as a group constantly in that prayer room for God to fill us with His love. But now you need to begin to cry out. You need to begin to cry out, fill me with your love, God. My reservoir is empty. Lord, I'm not able to climb this mountain. I can't even love my children. In fact, I start to read 1 Corinthians 13. I stop at the first one and say, God, I haven't done it. Love is patient. Man, i got to stop there and have a prayer meeting. God, it's not irritable. It's, it's not impatient. It's not short with people. It's not angry. It's not pouting. It's not throwing fits. It's not puffed up. It's not lift up. It's not drawing attention to itself. In church, I begin to read those and I begin to realize I'm not a loving person. You say, well, you're pretty good. You're not, you're not going to hell. No, I'm not going to hell, but I want to be filled with it. It challenges me. It makes me look at the pages and say, God, I could be so much more. I could be so much more. I could be so much more. God, fill me full of your Holy Spirit. Fill me full of your Holy Spirit, Lord.
Oh God, I want to be so full of love. I want to love my family. I want to love my co-workers. I want to love like you love, Lord. I want to be truthful with people. I want to be loving with people. Hallelujah. I want to be inclusive with people without compromising people. Challenging church. Very challenging. Very challenging. Oh, hallelujah. Just find a place to pray. You need prayer, I'm up here. Hallelujah. show you a more excellent way by speaking the tongues of men and of angels but I have not love I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love I am nothing I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love I gain nothing Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Love never fails, but where there is prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes in, perfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked as like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. We shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now there are three that remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I wrote something here I didn't want to miss. Everything that Paul taught and did was redemptive, meaning he never quit believing never quit persevering, never quit hoping because he believed everybody was redeemable. Everybody was able to be redeemed. And so everything that Paul did out of love was out of redemption. When I talk about a false prophecy or a false prophet, the goal is not to expose somebody for your own pleasure. The goal is to correct and redeem, to love. Paul talked to Thessalonica. He loved them so much, get this, that he called out people who refused to work. And he said, if they don't work, they don't eat. He called out people that were in Galatia. And they were believing things they shouldn't believe. And he called them, he, he called them ignorant. Because he he believed they were all redeemable. In the church of Corinth, who lived in a culture that was very immoral, 
He didn't just sit back and say, do whatever you want. We love everybody. He said, no, that brother can't be in the assembly because he's living an immoral sexual life. And he says he's a believer. Turn him over because we want to redeem him. We want him to come back in repentance. We love him. And then he wrote back later and he was like, man, I hope that brother is back in the assembly. He didn't do anything out of anger or out of meanness. He did everything because he loved them. And he believed they were going to be redeemed and they were redeemable and they were valuable and they were worth it. If you don't love people as a pastor, as a church, if you don't love people, you just let them go and you don't say a word. But if you love them, if you love them, you do things that work toward redemption. You say, can I just say whatever I want, say my peace and walk off? You should never confront anybody. Because you don't understand confrontation is about redemption. So you're careful how you confront. You're careful how you talk. You're careful how you speak. But you still do it. But if that's not your spirit, don't be confronting anybody. Because it's about redemption. It's about loving them and caring about them. Pouring out to them and telling them the truth. And loving the truth. And loving the people. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Lord, we love your spirit, Lord God. We pray that it would flow through this church, Lord God. Lord, that we would love you with all of our heart and we would love all the way to the ends of the earth, Lord. Lord, that we would bear all things, endure all things, Lord. For your glory, Lord. Lord, bless this congregation. Pour your spirit upon them, Lord. Pour out a spirit of love, Lord God. Out a spirit of love upon us. In your name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Praise God.